about you, but um, this is my favorite weekend of the year because we get to fall back and we get this extra hour of sleep. And, and I am in that season of life right now with three boys that I don't get a lot of sleep. And uh, even this morning I noticed that uh, my children who I can barely get out of bed in the morning for school were up at 6.30. And so, you know, I appreciate the time change uh, for my own sake for this morning. Um, but let me, let me open us in prayer real quick. Lord, I pray that um, you would just speak to us this morning through your word. Um, for those that need to hear this story of Ruth this morning, I just pray that you would um, bring it to life for us, speak um, through me, um, and I give you this blessing of music this morning and how it blessed me. Amen. So if your life were a cup of hope, how full would it be? Half empty, half full, partly empty or mostly empty, mostly full. This morning we're going to look at a story that is tucked in the midst of the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. In fact, in my Bible, it's only two pages long. Uh, but this story features a cast of characters. And although the book is called Ruth, throughout the story, we're going to watch the plight of two of the characters, Naomi and Ruth, and how their tragic experiences end in abundance and happiness. If, life's, if Naomi's life were a cup of hope, she wouldn't call it half empty. She wouldn't even, or, or even mostly empty, she'd call it completely empty. If you could use a little bit more hope in your life, this story is for you. The book of Ruth is also a love story and a story of redemption. It is one of those beautiful Old Testament pictures that was written to illustrate the truths of the Christian faith presented in the New Testament. Romans 15.4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul is referring to the Old Testament, including, I think, the book of Ruth. That means we'll be taught and we'll be more equipped to endure tough times and we'll be encouraged. In the process, we will grow in hope. And this story will begin with famine and death, but end with harvest and birth. Therefore, it's a redemption story. And as we read through the book, we are going to see God move redemptively in the everyday lives of ordinary people. Now, we're working our way through the story, and we've just finished reading stories from the book of Judges this last week. And this, these stories depict the near disintegration of the nation of Israel after she had entered the promised land. And I don't know about you, but we're probably ready for a new era here. The Bible, on the other hand, says not so fast. And we turn to this next book, and we read, perhaps to our chagrin, that it is set in the days when the judges ruled. 
These days were actually dark days for Israel. And as James mentioned last week, this was close to a 300-year period of general anarchy and oppression when the Israelites were not ruled by kings, but as we read, there were periodic deliverers whom God raised up when the nation sought him again. So indeed, the narrative begins in a most unpromising manner, but stick with it because it's all going to pay off in the end. Now, I've approached the book of Ruth as a drama in four acts, which is reflected conveniently enough in chapter divisions in our Bibles. Our cast is made up, as I mentioned, of characters, and we've got four here, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and perhaps less obvious, the townspeople as a collective. We are going to see the women of Bethlehem mentioned in chapter 1, the men at the beginning of chapter 4, and women again at the end of chapter 4. And they're all going to form sort of this collective chorus. They observe what takes place, and as God teaches Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz to love each other and live lives of faith, this whole town is blessed. So open your Bibles, and I want you to just follow along with me here at the very beginning, and and I'm going to have you stand in a little bit. We're going to open with Act 1. And in verse 1, we see there's a famine, as I mentioned, in the Promised Land, which we take a sign as a sign of God's judgment against Israel for her idolatry. Now, in Leviticus 26, we read of God's reward for obedience, but also his punishment for disobedience. So the question becomes, has the promised land become the cursed land? Because of the famine, Elimelech, a man from Bethlehem in the region of Judah, leaves the promised land for the land of Moab along with his family, his wife Naomi and their two sons. The Israelites had traveled through Moab to reach the promised land. So Elimelech's departure represents sort of a reversal of the nation's conquest of the land under Joshua. This era, which includes the book of Joshua and Judges and Ruth, God had given the Israelites a home, the home being the promised land. But for Elimelech and his family, the home given becomes the home vacated. And then we watch as things go from bad to worse in the land of Moab. First, Elimelech dies, and then his two sons, after marrying Moabite women, also die, leaving Naomi and her two childless daughter-in-laws to fend for themselves. In her new land, Naomi mirrors the land she left. She's barren, and she's fruitless. However, in verse 6... Naomi hears that the Lord has provided food for his people back home. So she she decides to return to the land of Judah. And although her two daughter-in-laws have made a promise to accompany her back into the land, she encourages both of them to return to Moab, which apparently holds out better prospects for them as native women than the land of Israel. Naomi says that, She is too old to get married and bear sons now. 
who could grow up to be husbands to provide for these two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. So we see Orpah return to, to Moab, but Ruth stays by Naomi's side. Still, Naomi pleads with Ruth to join her sister-in-law and return to the gods of Moab. Orpah, she implies, has done the sensible thing. Ruth will have none of it, and she binds herself not only to Naomi, but also to Naomi's people, and more importantly, to Naomi's God. So let's stand, and we're going to read, starting at verse 16, to the end of chapter 1. Get my Bible here. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, you. where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. So Ruth turns away from everything that has up to now defined her, her family, her nation, and her gods, abandoning the apparently brighter prospects in her native land in order to cast her lot with the Lord, the God of Israel. In the book of Judges, we saw again that the Israelites, the people of God, repeatedly turned away from following the Lord. And now, stunningly, this foreigner, despite the urgings of her Israelite mother-in-law, won't turn back from following the Lord. Upon her return to Bethlehem of Judah, Naomi determines that a name changes in order. Her name, Naomi, actually means pleasant. Pleasant. But she thinks Mara, which means bitter, would be a better fit because the Almighty has made her life very bitter. From Naomi's perspective, she left Bethlehem full, but now she is coming back empty. She returns in the condition of the land when she left it. And that land, however, has recovered. It has become fruitful again. But Naomi hasn't recovered. She remains barren and fruitless. All she has is this foreign widow who has no standing in Israel. 
and she appears to blame her plight on the Lord, who in her view has afflicted her. Many people can kind of identify with Naomi. You hope for a great experience at school, but it's been anything but great. You hope for a fulfilling career, but it hasn't turned out that way. You hope for some sort of relationship that would meet your needs, but you're still waiting. Or you got the relationship you wanted, only to find that it created more needs than it met. You hope for the strength to make your, your way in life, but your health fails you. You hope your children will turn out well, and they take a wrong turn. You hope for the resources to make a living, but your finances fail you. For many people like Naomi, it's not just one loss. It's one loss after another after another. And things only don't get better. Not only don't get better, they go from bad to worse. And you didn't count on all of those losses. And if you're a believer in the God of Israel, it's easy to become bitter. Hasn't he made things harder, not easier? It's easy to blame God or to lose faith in him altogether. You go out full, but you come back empty. Even if we can't identify with Naomi, we can probably sympathize with her and for those who have suffered the way she suffered. Nevertheless, at this point in the story, we might ponder Naomi's perspective. Has the Lord's hand really gone out against her? Is her life bitter to the point that a name change from pleasant to bitter is called for? Has she really returned to Bethlehem empty? No. There was this young woman with her. But as far as Naomi was concerned, she came back with no one. As far as God was concerned, she came back with the whole future of the human race holding on to her arm. She came back with a young woman who would be the mother of Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, the king of Israel, the father of the Messiah of Israel, and the Lord of the nations, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That's who she came back with. Not empty, but fuller than she had ever been. Yet in her bitterness, she couldn't see it. The facts became distorted for her. I'm empty, I'm nothing, nobody, God forsaken. And through Ruth, God is going to bring unbelievable blessing into Naomi's life. Which takes us to Act 2. I want to note two things as we look at chapter 2. First, the narrator tells us something that the players in the drama don't know. Verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man of standing. Now some translations say of even great wealth. He's of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We are being told that Boaz is going to be very important. But Ruth and Naomi will enter into the action of chapter 2 and without anticipating Boaz's role in the scheme of things. 
someday we may very well get to see the tape of our lives in heaven. And in heaven, we'll see our life story completely differently, don't you think? We'll realize that a conversation that seemed innocuous at the moment would lead to some significant outcome. We'll know that because, well, we'll be at the end of our story then. But God knows the end of the story now, and he is orchestrating things for us now, knowing what is important and what isn't. The perspective of the narrator here is the perspective God has on our lives at the moment. There is somebody who knows the future, even though we don't know it. The second thing I want to note is that chapter 2 is the story of just one 24-hour period. In just the first five verses of chapter 1, uh, 10 years whizzed by. And a famine started and ended, a family migrated, two marriages were made, three men died. Now we are going to have this entire chapter that covers just one day. And our focus moves off of Naomi and on to Ruth. So how will these two widows get by? It is very hard for a widow in any age, but it was especially difficult for women in ancient times to be widowed. In the Bible, the classic definition of what it means to have compassion in your heart is to care for widows and orphans. These groups of people were the most destitute. They had no social status and no economic means to survive. There was nothing like social service agencies or social security that would provide for them. So Ruth proposes that she visit the fields to gather leftover grain, which according to Israel's law was supposed to be left by landowners to provide for these orphans, widows, and strangers. And, and you would see that in Leviticus 19. She chances upon a field owned by Boaz. And I and I. As I mentioned, he is a wealthy man related to Elimelech, which is uh, Naomi's deceased husband. Now, Boaz, speaking to Ruth, grants her special privileges because he has heard her story. I think this is going to be up. Ruth 11 and 12. And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz's words to Ruth, a foreigner, are high praise indeed, for he sort of echoes the words the Lord spoke to Abraham. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Could something be happening with Ruth similar to what happened to Abraham, who was blessed by the Lord so that he and the nation that proceeded from him could bless the Lord? Boaz tells Ruth, may you be richly rewarded. Naomi, remember, she had deemed herself empty, but now Ruth, her daughter-in-law, has the prospect of some kind of reward, some fullness. 
And Ruth eats with Boaz and his reapers here. And she eats until she's full. And because of Boaz's kindness, Ruth is able to gather an abundance of grain, which she brings to Naomi, who also eats until she's full. Now, when Naomi discovers that the landowner is related to Elimelech, she is especially heartened. As a so-called kinsman redeemer, Boaz would have certain responsibilities to care for the widow of a relative. Again, this is found in Leviticus 25, 25 through 28. The Hebrew word goel meant to redeem and denoted a person who, as the nearest relative of another, was charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his wrongs. So speaking to Ruth about Boaz, Naomi, remember she had blamed the Lord for her problems, she invokes his name in this praiseworthy manner. Look at verse 20. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, to me, it was a little unclear whose kindness she's referring to, the Lord's or Boaz's. But in any event, it appears as if both the Lord and Boaz are showing kindness to Ruth and Naomi. Naomi urges Ruth to stay close by Boaz's servants and to continue gathering grain from his fields. So when things go from bad to worse, what do you need? You need faith. And where there's faith, there's hope. And I think faith inspires hope. But sometimes it's hard to believe, isn't it? And perhaps when things go from bad to worse, God will send you someone like Ruth. Someone who believes. Or someone, who, someone like Boaz, who reminds you that God rewards those who believe in him. Hebrews 11.6 or maybe simply reading about Ruth and Boaz this week will give you hope. And even though you still feel empty, you might hope for some sort of fullness. And like Naomi, you may find it in yourself to praise the Lord. Now, Act 3 opens, and Naomi has big plans for Ruth and Boaz. And she launches into her matchmaking plan. She hopes that Boaz will assume the role of a direct brother of Elimelech and marry Ruth. The law of Israel had called for this, for this man to marry the wife of his deceased brother and, if possible, produce a child so that the brother's name might continue in Israel. And we find that in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. So Naomi advises Ruth to lie down next to Boaz. If Ruth follows Naomi's advice, she'll be symbolically suggesting to Ruth, or to Boaz, that he fulfill the role of a direct brother and marry her. Ruth consents, and at this point in the drama, we might kind of scratch our heads a little bit, and maybe we're even holding our breath. Uh, maybe cringing even a bit as we read that Ruth puts on perfume and dresses in her finest clothes and goes down to the threshing floor where Boaz will bed down after they beat the grain. Naomi trusts the Lord to work in Boaz, and she tells Ruth, he will tell you what to do. 
In verse 7, we read that when Boaz fell asleep, Ruth took the covers off of his feet and lied down. Now, Boaz, quite naturally, is startled to find a woman lying next to him in the middle of the night and asks, who are you? Ruth identifies herself and then says in verse 9, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now remember earlier, Boaz praised Ruth for seeking refuge under the wings of the Lord. Now Ruth is echoing these words. Now I do want to point out here um, that Ruth was not making a provocative uh, gesture here. In the in the culture of the day, this was understood as an act of total submission. And as you'll read this week, Boaz, though praises Ruth for not chasing after younger men, he turns her so-called proposal down. He understands himself, yes, to be a, pot, a potential kinsman redeemer. And yes, he's willing to fulfill the role of a direct brother of Elimelech. However, he knows of a closer relative and he must give this man right of first refusal. Boaz sends Ruth home at dawn before she can be seen and gives her more grain, and he notes, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So we read again that Naomi, the empty one, gets filled again. Something is stirring in Naomi, and perhaps something is stirring in you as well. You might call it faith. Perhaps you've been blessed by the faith of someone else, and maybe you've been able to feed off of that person's faith to some degree. And by growing in faith, maybe like Naomi, you're ready to take some sort of action. Act 4. Act 4 opens at the city gates, and we see Boaz seek out this closer relative so he can lay everything out for him. And in, in, and in enters our additional character, the men of Bethlehem, who, ba who Boaz gathers to witness their conversation. And we read this, as we read the story, we notice that Boaz lays, lays everything out sort of in a strategic order. There's this piece of land that belonged to Elimelech. And now his widow, Naomi, has to sell it because widows can't work the land. In such a case, the nearest kinsman has the responsibility to buy the land and to keep it in the family. Again, we're looking at Leviticus 25. So the closer relative tells Boaz, hey, it's a deal. But Boaz, Boaz says, not quite. The land comes with a woman, <laughs> Ruth, a foreigner, who from the relative's perspective, when he hears this, brings nothing to the party. So hold on a minute, says the, says the relative. If he marries Ruth and they have children, he'll jeopardize his own estate and his, his own children's inheritance. So he tells Boaz, no, thank you. You take her, and he takes off his sandal, and he gives it to Boaz. Look at verse 7. 
Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Wouldn't that be great? If we could just, okay, here's my sandal. So we see the closer relative act in his own interest. Verse 9, the path is now clear for Boaz to buy the land from Naomi, because it's it's Naomi's land, right? And marry Ruth in order to redeem the land of Ruth's deceased husband. Boaz, contrary to this closer relative, this kinsman redeemer, this kinsman acts in the interest of another, the deceased husband, not to mention Ruth and Naomi. So the people of Bethlehem who witnessed the transaction tell Boaz in verse 11, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Remember, as you'll recall, Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob, built the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel had come from their sons. Now, stunningly, the people of Bethlehem hope that this foreign woman will rebuild the nation through the offspring born to her. First, Boaz had hinted that Ruth is like Abraham, with whom the nation began. And now the people of Bethlehem hope that she will rebuild the nation. Truly, something seems to be happening to this woman similar to what happened to Abraham. Boaz marries Ruth, and the Lord enables her to conceive, and she gives birth to a son. When Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she told the women, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now the women take note of what the Lord has done for Naomi since then. She now has a grandson who will provide for her in her old age. Although she lost two sons, now she has Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who they say is better to you than seven sons. In verse 16, Naomi takes the child into her arms, lays him in her lap, and cares for him. Perhaps maybe something of a foster mother. Remember, Naomi, when trying to dissuade Ruth from returning to the promised land with her, she had dismissed the possibility that she would bear a son at her advanced age. Yet, now the women observe in verse 17, Naomi has a son. If Naomi came back empty, she's full now, in a way beyond anything that she could have imagined. But wait, there's more. There's an epilogue to this story. With the birth of a son to Ruth, Naomi's redemption, her journey from emptiness to fullness, is complete. But the story of of the book of Ruth is not complete, not by a long shot. What of the story of Israel? True, Naomi was in need of restoration, but Israel as a whole was also in need of restoration during these days when the judges ruled. So for the story of Israel to advance so that she could fulfill her story and bless the world, 
She needed not tribal leaders such as the judges, but a king who would rule over all the tribes. In the days of the judges, during one of Israel's darkest hours, all was not lost. It turns out that because of these three unlikely people, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, but also mostly because of the Lord, who drew up three unlikely people into the eternal drama of redemption and gave Israel what she needed, not only for her sake, but also for the sake of the world, a king after his own heart. The book of Ruth concludes with the genealogy of David spanning ten generations. There the the book of Ruth ends, but there's more, because if we um, look at the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 1 begins with the genealogy. And notice the names in the book of Matthew that also appear in the book of Ruth. Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, to name a few. And Matthew adds some women. He adds Ruth. And if you remember, if you look back, he adds Rahab. Here are two foreign women that he used. And how does the book of Matthew introduce this genealogy? With the first words of the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Where was he born? Bethlehem, the city of Naomi. Now we see Naomi didn't come back to Bethlehem empty. She came back with Ruth. She came back with a woman of extraordinary faith. And where there's faith, there's hope. And the woman who called herself empty plays a key role in the epic drama of redemption. So how full is your cup of hope? Consider this. The women of Bethlehem had observed Naomi has a son. And if you have faith, you too have a son, the son of David. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Son of God, and he is your kinsman, Redeemer. And just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, he rescues you, too, from eternal peril, and he provides for you not only in your old age, but into all the ages. You have hope. If you have Christ, you're not empty. Christ dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you a foretaste of the coming new creation. Romans 8.10 If you have faith in the Son, there's reason to hope. For God rewards those who believe in him. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So in closing, If we have the Son, our story is connected to the eternal story, which means that our story is heading in the right direction. Furthermore, we, like Naomi, have a part to play in the drama, even if we feel empty. During one of Israel's darkest hours, Naomi, who considers herself empty, returned to Israel with the future of the human race. No matter how dark the hour We carry the future of the human race with us. 
because we are the dwelling place of the Son of God. God draws us up into the eternal drama of redemption, and through us, somehow, he gives the world what it needs, the king. And we carry him with us into the ages. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, that from eternity you planned to bring Jesus into the world as our kinsman redeemer, fully God and fully man. And just like Ruth was graciously received and redeemed by Boaz, you do the same for us. You give us your life and share with us your inheritance and your home. And like Naomi, you restore us and renew us, and we become part of the redemption story. Fill us today, Lord, if we are feeling empty, and help us to see your grace, your provision, your refuge, your comfort, abundance, and most of all, your redemption.